On today's episode, I'm answering all of your Run Smarter questions on another Q&A. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Thanks for joining me once again, Run Smarter Scholars. I have five more questions to answer today. Uh, When I released the post over on the socials about asking for your questions, I got nine audio submissions. Um, So did four last episode, got five to go now. And just as I'm planning out this episode, I've just realized that I've unconsciously or consciously, I'm not really sure, uh, the first four that I answered last episode were kind of like the easier ones. And now I've just got five tough questions to tackle and it's hard. It's hard. I've tried planning for it and it takes a lot of thinking. It's, um, put me, I guess, in an uncomfortable or challenging position, um, but very happy to go through them. Thanks for submitting your questions. Um, I think I'll keep to this kind of audio submissions um, for the future. I might do 50-50 because um, I do know there are some great questions and people are just, some people are just comfortable typing it out. But if you do want to submit an audio response or an audio question, um, I, I would greatly appreciate it. I hope you are enjoying listening to these sorts of questions as well. Um, uh, the latest YouTube video that I released last week would have been last Tuesday gives you a chance to win the Run Smarter book. I'll be sending the Run Smarter book to your doorstep and it's the easiest way to to enter. Um, I won't tell you too much about it. I'll get you to watch the video. Um, I'll leave the link in the show notes, but I was doing a video on the five best running books for beginners. And because it was a video about books, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to promote my own book, but also do some giveaways as well. So if you've already bought the book, it could be a good giveaway for a friend um, because hopefully by now you've had a listen, uh, you've had a read of the book or had a listen if it's the audio book and think it's a great resource and then hand it to someone who is a runner who thinks who you think that might really deserve it. So head to that YouTube video, go check it out, watch it, see how you can enter and then win and I'll just send the book to your doorstep. Um And like I said, I'll leave that in the show notes and for you to get excited and hopefully I can send it your way. Let's dive in to question number one from Eric. How to know if we need a stability issue or just work on our strength and proprioception? Thanks for submitting your question, Eric. So Eric is asking how necessary is a stability issue? 
um, and whether we actually need it for support or whether it's better to focus on strength and proprioception. Um, so in other words, like, do you need to rely on the shoe or can you sort of do it yourself? This question, like I said, these are, these are tough questions. It threw me in a few different directions attempting to answer this. The first direction it took me in is you'll, the overall, I guess, advice that we have around shoe selection is to find what's most comfortable. If you're most comfortable in a stability shoe, just go with that. If you're more comfortable in a neutral shoe, go with that. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I will be releasing my conversation with Andrea, who's a part of the Doctors of Running team, and we do a shoe Q&A. And like I said, that'll be released in a couple of weeks. And she talks about this comfort filter as well, making sure that like if it is a neutral shoe and it's comfortable, you choose that. Um, but you do need to try a whole bunch of different shoes to know what is comfortable for you. And this will be irrelevant of how strong your foot is or how functional the foot is, what the mobility is like. You just choose those, you try on those different shoes and whatever you're most comfortable with, then the comfort filter will actually just like automatically select a shoe based on how you move and why you move and will just bring in all those flexibilities and strengths and those sorts of things. So following that preferred movement path. So you don't really need to think too much about strength and proprioception and those sorts of things. If you find a stability shoe more comfortable, which Eric, I think that might be up your alley, um, you can keep using it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you require the stability. In other words, it doesn't mean that your foot is weak and you need to provide that stability. It just means it just will suit your natural movement path. The second direction that it took me in is, okay, if you wear stability shoes because you feel that you don't have the strength. So let's just say there might be a, a couple of people out there that might be weak through their fascia or weak through their plantar fascia or, you know, around the, the function of their foot and they feel like they need that stability. Or maybe they've been told in the past that, you know, you overpronate or your foot is collapsing, you require this amount of stability, which is a whole nother topic in itself. Um, this will still be your personal preference to choose the stability shoe. And it might also be based on, say, your past history of injuries. For example, if you have plantar fasciitis or if you've got a long history of plantar fasciitis or if you've got a foot stress fracture or a tibialis posterior tendon on the inside of the ankle or a calf and Achilles injury, if you've had these sort of histories of injuries and you have a stability shoe and things feel better, then that's just the decision that you make. It's not that you necessarily require the stability. It's just that that type of shoe is suiting you, you based on your history, your uh, training history and your injury history. And you can choose, like, let's just say you choose to do a maximalist shoe, like a Hoka, and it provides a lot of support, a lot of stability, a lot of stack height, and you feel great in it. You can choose to stay in those maximalist shoes. Will your running suffer? Um, I don't think so. Um, your running definitely won't suffer if you just choose to stay in those hokas. I know some people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, they try on the a hoka and they absolutely love it and that's all they wear. Nothing wrong with that. Your muscles probably, like I think the fear people might have is that, okay, if I wear hokas the entire time and it encases my foot, my foot isn't really doing a lot of the work, 
maybe my muscles start to atrophy or become weaker and that's probably doing more damage than good. Well, it might if you then try to transition into minimalist shoes. So if you're wearing a Hoka for six months and then all of a sudden you decide to wear a minimalist shoe and you transition too quickly, that might lead you to a heightened risk of injury. But if you choose to stay in a Hoka, your muscles aren't necessarily going to get weaker. Um, it's not like it's in a cast because when you're not running, you're probably still you know, doing daily walking in minimalist or barefoot shoes some of the time anyway, and that would help, um, I guess, preserve, maintain, or even build upon a lot of the strength that you, you might have. You might choose to use minimalist shoes when you do strength training or just walking around, and that would still engage and strengthen a lot of the muscles within the feet. So I guess it all depends on, okay, your preferred movement path, what you find most comfortable, what your goals are. And if your goals are, you know, you're happy with the stability shoe and that's all you want to stay in, fine. You're not going to get weak. You probably don't need to increase your strength and function. Um, if these injuries keep popping up, maybe it's something to do with the rehab and the training side of things, not necessarily the shoe. But this question pulled me in a third direction, which is if you need stability shoes and don't want to rely on the stability features. So our second scenario was, okay, if you want to stay in hokers, stay in hokers. But if you wanted to say, let me do everything within my power to build up my strength, proprioception, function so that I don't have to rely on the stability features. Well, then we can slowly transition into something like a neutral shoe or a minimalist shoe and gradually increase your strength and proprioception that way. In other words, you probably don't need to have specific strength exercises or specific proprioception exercises to build upon. Um, you could probably, you just need to walk around in bare feet. That will increase your strength and proprioception. Uh, we can do it gradually if you need to. If you have plantar fasciitis and any sort of barefoot walking increases those symptoms, then they'll have to have a tailored plan for you. Um, I talked to Tim Branston. It's probably within the first 20 episodes of the podcast. It's probably episode like 12 or something. But um, he was talking about barefoot strength and function and really recommends if you want to build up your strength and function, just do strength training in barefoot shoes or minimalist shoes. And that's going to allay, enable you to increase your strength, increase your balance, increase just the function of the foot in general. Um, so you can do that rather than go through like the, the toe scrunches or picking up marbles or doing the toe yoga and all those really specific stuff. I think just if you can tolerate the highly functional stuff, it's probably the best way to go about it. Thanks once again, Eric. Let's hear from Brendan. Hi, Brody. This is Brendan from Chilliwack, Canada. Um, my question is, how much strength training is too much for runners? Um, and perhaps, you know, what are some of the signs of, of, of such? Additionally, is there any change to your answer for ultra-distance uh, trail athletes? Thanks so much. Good to hear from you, Brendan. Uh, let's see what I have written down for this one. Okay, how much strength is too much? You can, well, everyone has different goals. Like if if you want to do a lot of strength work, you can do a lot of strength work. If you love it and if it's your goal, by all means, go for it. But I think the premise of your question is like, how much, do, like how much is too much that it starts compromising your running performance? I'm assuming. 
Um, I'm not actually too sure, like depending on the athlete themselves, like what they're doing in the gym would obviously play a factor, like how heavy they're lifting, how intense their workouts are, how many sets, reps, rest periods, um, along with the, the type of running you're doing. I know you sort of mentioned ultra athletes there, but answering on a global, I guess, response, um, you know, it really will depend. For example, like when I do gym, I've got my gym in my house and it's just in the next room. And I do gym, say, five times a week, but I only do two exercises per day. So not a lot. It's just enough for me to be like, oh, let me have a 10-minute break, go in there, do some deadlifts, come back. And so, you know, I could sometimes do gym seven days a week. Um, but the research will show that performance needs to be around about twice a week in terms of frequency. If you're doing heavy stuff, um, most of the experts I ask and most of the research that I've come across seems to gravitate towards that. If you're doing less intense exercise where it's not as heavy, just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Higher reps, maybe some bodyweight stuff. You can do that five, six times a week if you wanted to, but the heavy stuff requires the recovery and so that's why the frequency is less. And so... Based on anyone who's listening, based on your gym routine, um, you probably want to ask yourself, uh, Are you? do you feel like you're getting enough recovery? And is that, that's, I guess, is hindering or aiding your performance? So how, how often are you feeling tired? How often do you have DOMS? Is that starting to impede on your training sessions? If you're only doing two sessions per week, and you're getting a lot of muscle soreness that's carrying into like three days after a workout, you're probably working out too heavy. You probably should have about one, two days max of DOMS after your heavy gym workouts um, because then we can sort of train or plan around your running schedule so that it doesn't start to impede on your running. So you could do a really intense heavy gym session and the next day is just a really easy run. And then your, I guess, tempo sessions or fast interval sessions or hill repeats, those sort of things can be a bit later in the week where you are feeling a bit more fresh. So you're sort of balancing those two gym sessions around the rest of the week to sort of um, prevent it hindering your running performance. But if you are doing three, four sessions per week and it is heavy and, you know, you're constantly sore and it's starting to carry over into your running the quality of your harder efforts, then probably would start asking those questions of maybe you're doing a bit too much. Uh, but I will say, Brendan, you can just test this out yourself. And I recommend people testing it out themselves because like I said, there's way too many factors, running goals, running frequency, and the, the gym sessions themselves, how intense it is, what type of exercises are you doing? So what I would recommend is if you are exercising more than twice a week or if you're doing gym more than twice a week and you feel like it's impeding on your running performance, try for three months just doing a bit less. 
maybe compacting your gym sessions into twice a week, find the right balance of when in the week around the rest of your running schedule to sort of place them. Try for three months and then see what happens to your running. Maybe you start feeling fresher for those harder efforts. Maybe your running performances start improving. Maybe on races, you're feeling a bit better. Try it out. And I say three months because it's probably that's probably the duration it requires. And just get an overall sense of what your balance is like, what your, I guess, intensity balance is like, what your recovery is like, how your body's feeling. Once you try it out for three months, um, you know, test and tweak from there. If you don't see much of a difference, maybe go back to the schedule you're already doing, or maybe even try a bit more. Maybe you're, you're currently doing once or twice a week and you want to see how three times a week goes. Again, test it out. I have people who love going to the gym and still love running races, but they love gym just as much as they love running. And they'll probably be in the gym four or five times a week just because that's what they love doing. Um, and you know, you can find, you could probably find a balance between that running performance and the love for being in the gym, but does require some testing and tweaking. The three month experiment might seem a bit daunting, but I will say that like, you know, you should be running these experiments anyway. Everyone, most people that are listening to this podcast will want to become a better runner. That's why they're listening. It's trying to run these experiments constantly, no matter what it is, if it's increasing your recovery, maybe it's stretching or foam rolling or rehabbing uh, an injury where we should be trying to better ourselves, better prepare for races, better injury prevention strategies, recovery strategies by just testing and tweaking because we want to be not just looking, tackling like the next week, the week after that. Let's look two years ahead and see how much testing and tweaking we've done in those two years to learn more about ourselves, learn more about our recovery, learn more about our symptoms, interpreting symptoms, and just run these experiments to, to see how we go. So not sure if that answers your question, Brendan. I hope it does. hope it provides some insight. I know with a lot of these questions, it is, it depends, but I'm trying my best to give some sort of practical takeaways so that you feel a little bit more confident after hearing this response. Abdul Rahman brings in our next question, so let's take it away. Hey Brody, this is Abdurrahman. Just wanted to thank you for all the knowledge you've been sharing with us and giving us the chance to ask questions. My question is, if I'm not training for a race or I'm not in a training cycle or an event or any of that sort, what would be the optimum mileage to maintain to keep a solid base uh, to start from? For, for races or any of that sort. My current situation is I'm at 30 miles a week and I'm wondering if that is optimum or if the experts have other opinion or if you've read something else. Thanks a lot again, mate. I'm glad you've asked this question because I've seen on social media and just across the, the blogs and forums I listen to that I hear this question a lot. It's like, how much is an optimum base while I'm not training for something. Um, I guess like it depends where we want to take this baseline in terms of general health, I guess, you know, most health advice is to exercise for 30 to 40 minutes, five times a week. And it should be of like low to moderate intensity. Um, but that's considering all exercise. Um, but I guess your question is like during the off season or not when, if you don't have a race coming up, um, 
what would be the safest optimum baseline. Uh, I guess it would depend on the type of races you have and how far away they are or like how frequently you like to run them throughout the year because we do want to make sure that we're um, we're absent of any abrupt changes and that the chief among them being mileage and speed. So you want to make sure that if you do have some races coming up, okay, what would be a nice base during my off season to then launch into that? So we're sort of just, you know, looking ahead. And if you don't have any races, you're not considering any races. Um, I'll talk about that in a second, but you just want to make sure that um, you're planning things out. So for example, you've said that your baseline weekly mileage currently is 30 miles, which is like 50 kilometers around abouts, which is a good base. Um, and you might, and let's just say you're a marathon runner. If you're, if you have that base, if you have 30 miles per week, like as a base that you're very happy with, it might only take you about three months to prepare for that marathon. But another recreational runner who during their off seasons only running 10 miles per week, that might take them four to six months. And so we really need to have a look and see what you have on the calendar, how far away it is. Um, if you, let's just say if you're, mo most of us are like half marathon to marathon runners, maybe do, let's just say you do three to five races per year. So maybe three half marathons and one full marathon per year. If you're doing 15 to 25 miles per week or like 25 to 40 kilometers per week, I'd say it's a pretty good baseline. But the optimum, back to your question, what's the optimum baseline? It requires another question. I think it is guessing, uh, it, it probably requires you to work out for yourself what's the highest, safest mileage you want to maintain where you still feel quite fresh week by week, it still has a really nice balance, and that you have a high enjoyment factor that's just maintained. Because some people love running, and their baseline running, even when they don't have any races on, is still quite high just because they love it and they want to do it. And if their baseline is quite high, and they're still feeling fresh, and then they have a race, they've got a bigger launching pad to then launch into. But... I know some people have different motivations for running. Some people only like running when they have a race or a goal or something to put them ahead. But if they don't have any goals or any races coming up, then they don't really you know, have much motivation for running. And maybe then their weekly mileage might only be five to 10 miles per week. I'm not too sure. Everyone's different. And so if you, for myself, for example, like I you know, admittedly haven't signed up for any races since COVID in the last, you know, three years now, but I love running. So I run four to five times per week. I run about four, four to five K during like midweek. So I wake up at, you know, 6 a.m., love running in the morning and do my four or five K jog, really low intensity. And I'll do that, you know, three or four times during the week. And then I save a long run on the weekend, which is about 10 to 12 K. Again, low intensity, but not really prepping for anything at the moment. Um, and that's what I do. I just love it. I, I wouldn't do any less because otherwise I'd feel like I'm not scratching that itch or getting that high or like doing what I love. And so I guess that's my baseline, my optimal baseline, I guess you could say. Um, 
And when I do decide to launch into a race, I'd have to consider how long it is, how, how what the distance is and how long I need to prepare and then make sure that I prepare enough time for that. But like I say, everyone's, everyone's different. But summarizing this question, what type of races do you usually do? And schedule them out ahead of time so there's enough planning. But then try and work out for yourself when you don't have anything on What's the highest mileage you want to keep where your legs still feel fresh and you can um, sort of maintain a high enthusiasm for running. And then the bigger the base, you know, the bigger launch pad you have. So that's where I like to go with that question. I hope that helps. Our next question comes in from Steve. What should you do when returning to running after COVID? or other respiratory illnesses? Thanks, Steve. I probably need to start this question with a bit of a disclaimer. I am not a doctor, nor am I trained to sort of give this type of medical advice. Um, But I do have a quite simple answer. Yeah, I guess you could say quite simple answer, a safe answer for me anyway. Um, And I do have a lot of clients that have had COVID and this is kind of just what I tell them. It might be a shock, but I'm going to say, listen to your body. You might need to take the time off. Um, Don't force anything. Don't try and run through any sort of resistance. If your body's telling you to slow down, take a break, take time off, definitely do that. While you have COVID or while you have a respiratory illness, your body needs to be in as as much recovery mode as possible to negotiate and effectively um, get you back to better health. And so take your time off, take the necessary time off and your body will tell you when you're ready to start exercising again. This is usually when sort of energy levels return, um, you start feeling a bit better about yourself. But then when you want to start getting into a run or you want to start exercising again, you say, okay, I'm listening to my body, getting my energy levels back, feel a little bit more optimistic. I actually just feel ready to start exercising. Then you get started into a very low intensity exercise. So it might be a light run walk is where no matter what your baseline fitness was beforehand, start off with a walk run, maybe one minute on one minute off. And from there, you just listen to your body because I've had a few clients over the past year who've had COVID and I give this advice and they say, no, I'm ready to get back into exercise. Energy levels have returned. I'm feeling good. Um, Symptoms of, you know, totally alleviated. Let's get into it. And then they start running and they say, man, I'm actually, you know, a lot more tired and a lot more worn out than I thought I would be. And that's why we like to take it nice and easy um, and listen to your body from there. On the other side of things, because Steve, you're asking like, um, what should we do when returning to running after COVID? So there's a few more other ways we can take this. I would just say, because your body still wants some of that recovery mode, you want to make sure you're sleeping well stress levels are okay, hydration, nutrition, relaxation, um, outside of exercise, you want to make sure that you're you're still getting that adequate recovery and your body's bouncing back sort of week by week and your walk runs become easier and easier. Those energy levels still stay quite high. You want to make sure that all of that's, you know, falling into place. Otherwise, if it's not, you're probably returning to exercise a bit too soon or um, the duration's too much or the intensity's too high really pay attention to it. Um, Don't push yourself. Don't force against anything. We know that if someone has a race coming up, you might feel eager to get back into it and 
I've done a couple of episodes on this in the past. Most people's deep-seated um, reason for running through these things is because they're scared of losing fitness. You know, you might be preparing for a race or just build up your overall fitness levels. And then when you, you fall ill, you return back because you're scared of losing all this fitness that you've built up when it can be more detrimental. You know, have the recovery that the body requires. Uh, but you don't want to prolong this illness because you're pushing yourself too much. Um, get through that recovery, get that hydration, nutrition, all those sorts of things, and just listen to the body back from there. That is a better journey than feeling like you're going to lose fitness, running and exercising too far or too intense than the body's needing, and then it prolongs your recovery and you end up just losing long-term fitness rather than bouncing back quickly after a swift, you know, effective recovery plan. So keep all that in mind and thanks for your question, Steve. Our next and last question comes in from Chi. Hi, Brody. My question is, what is the best way to build endurance and resilience to declines in a gym setting where you're trying to replicate rain down on a hill for a distance of greater than three kilometers? Thanks. Good to hear from you, Chi. Um, okay, so what is the best way to build downhill running resilience and endurance? Um, I had to think about this really hard. It actually took me a couple of days to sort of come up with my answer. To start with, running downhill is a it thrashes the quads. Um, a lot of ultra runners or trail runners will know. Well, some marathons do have some steady downhills, um, but it's probably the um, terrain where people just get a lot of quad muscle soreness the next day. The DOMS that people get. Um, why this happens? Well, I guess DOMS usually occur, uh, more, more likely to occur when it undergoes eccentric strength or a, an eccentric component to their exercise. And so when you're running, especially when you're running downhill, your quads have to work eccentrically. Um, and this is what sort of produces that DOMS. It, it works more eccentrically downhill than on the flats because you're doing a couple of things. One, your knee is just a little bit more bent when you contact the ground, I believe. And the other is because you're going against gravity. So you're thumping yourself downhill where gravity just pulls on your body more than when you're running on the flats. But you sort of need to, you know, pull back the brakes a little bit because if you just let yourself go, you're going to go faster and faster and faster until your legs can't keep up anymore and you're going to fall flat on your face. So what we do is we sort of put a little break on ourselves. We sort of lean back and we just have these quick kind of steps that our quads need to work really hard just to control that, that movement. And what they do is they work eccentrically more than a lot more than what's required when you're running on the flats. And because we don't necessarily train a lot in that environment, then the quads are like, man, that was a tough, tough workout. And therefore, the next day, a lot of muscle soreness. Um, speaking of like the eccentric component, uh, I'm in the middle right now of doing a YouTube 30-day challenge, which I'm doing myself and then I'm recording everything and then I'm going to put it all into a video. I'm actually seeing how things go if I do um, a 30-day challenge doing Nordic drops. And for those who aren't familiar, you sort of kneel on the ground 
anchor your, your heels down, then you just lower your body down. Uh, most people are familiar with what Nordic drops are, but I'm doing this for 30 days and this is a hamstring eccentric exercise and I have had a lot of muscle soreness <laughs> to the point where I can't do it every day. I need to take some rest days, um, but I'll leave that as a bit of a teaser. You can see once that video comes out what the, the journey is like and what the final results are. Um, but yeah, answering this question, I'm right in the middle of it and very familiar with muscle soreness due to the eccentric contractions. Sorry, T, I digress. Um, going back to what we can do in the gym <laughs> to replicate this sort of scenario. I'll say that the best way to get better at it and the best way for your body to adapt to downhill running is by just doing more downhill running. It is going to be the most specific thing that you can do because the body does an amazing job of if you give it the right conditions to adapt, it's going to adapt to those conditions. If you do it with the right frequency, the right intensity, with enough recovery, those sorts of things. We're talking about in the gym. How can we do it? Um, it's very, very hard to replicate. It's very, very hard um, and may not be that effective. I will say that, but I do have a couple of scenarios. One would be wall balls, which I know Chi personally. I know he likes his... Um, his wads in his sort of CrossFit style workouts. So he'll be very familiar with wall balls. But for those who aren't familiar, sort of have this big medicine ball in front of you and you do a squat and then you come up and you sort of throw that ball into the wall as high up on the wall as possible. Or there might be some sort of benchmark that you have to sort of reach. It touches the wall and then starts falling back to the ground. You catch it into a squat, squat down and repeat the process. Launch it back into the air catch, squat, release it back into the air. And to make this more, um, to tailor this to the goals that we have, I would say we probably want to do some faster, shorter squats. So like maybe quarter squats, but we're just catching the ball and releasing it really quickly. And we don't need to release it too far in the air. It can be quite heavy, but if we're just doing quarter squats and really just focusing on the propulsion and getting that as quick and fast as possible. We're eccentrically loading our quads that way and might do that on a slant board. I didn't actually write this down, but I'm just thinking about that, that right now. If we have a slant board where your foot, your toes are pointed a bit more towards the ground, um, that could probably load up the quads a bit more and be a little bit more um, tailored to running downhill. Cause when you run downhill, your toes point a bit further to the ground and you sort of need to lean back a little bit more. So, the wall balls with that slant board might do that. Maybe with single leg, if you have the control and um, strength to do that, be, that'd be a super tough exercise now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but away from the wall balls, other exercises that I have are sort of quick pogo jumps or maybe jumping over little hurdles or jumping back and forth, like these sort of jumping tasks. Pogo jumps are kind of, you want to keep everything really stiff. You sort of want to hit the ground and launch yourself up in a, in a stiff spring in the quickest way possible. So you're sort of just doing these explosive sort of movements. Um, probably can't do that on a slant board. You're probably going to just launch a bit more forward. But if you have a line painted in front of you, horizontal in front of you, and you jump over that line and then back, um, back and forth over that line um, and do that in that pogo kind of style, then you're eccentrically sort of loading the quads. 
if we wanted to, like I say, with running downhill, your gravity is having more of an effect because you're thudding your way downhill compared to on the flats. So you might want to say wear a, a weighted vest, um, just make sure it's like secure and locked in place. It doesn't move around too much. But if you lock a vest in place and then do those back and forth jumps, you know, maybe you start to load that, um, load those muscles a bit more appropriately. You can progress to maybe single leg if you feel that strong. But these are, like I say, these are tough exercises. Um, and that's the best I've got. <laughs> um, it's probably not going to help your scenario, Chi, about, I think you said it was about 3K downhill um but will you know help get you there it'll help do a little bit to get you there but you want to make sure that you're also training on the downhills and preparing for that so that your body has that specificity in mind but then you're also in the gym sort of aiding that you're facilitating that adaptation so hope that makes sense hope everyone enjoyed these responses you can go check out that youtube video that i've got now on my book recommendations for beginners and how you can win the run smarter book. Like I said, um, what Amazon does is I can send an author copy to anywhere in the world, anywhere that Amazon can reach. So I have the ability to do that. I have to pay for the printing and I have to pay for the delivery, but I'm more than happy to do this as a giveaway. So go check out that video. It's in the show notes. The link is in there and uh, I'll be going on annual leave for the next two weeks. So my social media posts will be a little bit more infrequent. My, if you're on my email list, maybe those emails will be a little bit more infrequent than what you're used to. The podcast episodes will still be rolling because I've scheduled these out and I'll hopefully be really fresh, excited to get back after two weeks of a break and looking forward to continuing delivering these podcast episodes. So until then, remember... Every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.